is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Let's sing it again now. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm waiting for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day. Let's turn around, shake hands, and fellowship one with another. with that say amen praise the Lord for that good to have you here let's pray now and ask the Lord to bless the service tonight Marvin Hughes if you would lead us in prayer please yes yes Yes. Amen. Let's keep on singing. 
leaning on the everlasting arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. On the second now. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arm. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting heart. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. As Santa Rushers come forward to receive our offering, reminds you everything you give on Wednesday nights goes to support our Bible conference. So let me encourage all of you to give. And also, I hope that you're praying now about your special gift that's coming up in May, the third Sunday of May, our Chasta Joash offering. And Lord willing, they'll be starting in just a week or so on the uh, remodeling in the back and the additions and different things. So. But I want you to pray now about a very, very special gift. For you that are new, our Chest of Joash offering is an offering that we take and where we ask everybody to give something special that day toward our building programs and projects. So that's coming up in May. We're excited about that. Chest of Joash Sunday is always a very special Sunday around here, unique Sunday. And if you've never been here when we took one, then... Uh, you know, there's something very, very unique about the Chess of Joash Sunday. Amen? It's a great Sunday, just a wonderful Sunday, but be praying about that. And then, of course, this week is Secretary's Week, Secretary Day. Rhonda, in the back there, she wanted me to make mention of that tonight. So let's give Rhonda a show how much we appreciate her. Good job she does. And you be sure to drop her a note and let her know how much you appreciate the good job she does for us. So many things around here that she is responsible for, and we appreciate her. Let's pray now and let's give. Father, we thank you now for all you've done, for your blessings. We ask you, Lord, that you'll continue to move through the service, opening our hearts to all the wonderful things that you have for us. Bless our time as we study the Word of God tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
It's good to have uh, Ken Love, Mrs. Love with us tonight, also John Bell's wife. Good to have them with us. Uh, Ken is one of our missionaries that we support here. And also, you remember David, this is his parents. Brother Ken, good to have you with us. Come up. He's going to take a few moments and share with us tonight. Let's welcome him to our services again tonight. We wanted to come by just tonight to report to you some of the progress that we've been making in missions. We're through in the air for our grandson's graduation from Temple. We have a grandson old enough to graduate from college. Uh, we got married very, very young. Amen. All right. But uh, we've been married 47 years, been in the ministry 48 of it. And uh, we're glad to be here tonight. And we just have left the old church in Jersey City, New Jersey, turned it over to a young preacher. And uh, we've now relocated everything out to where David's pastoring, Independence, Missouri, New Hope Baptist. And so I called the pastor and said we'd like to come by and just thank you folks for supporting us. And we pray that you'll keep doing that. We was talking a bit before the service, Pastor and I, and we're going to uh, probably do a lot of going to some lot of small churches right now for the next few months. That's what we've been doing now since March. And uh, we're still doing, we'll be until the 1st of June. And we are going back to our home church and work for a couple of weeks in the bus ministry in there, and then we'll hit the road again and go out west. But there's a lot of small churches across this country, especially in the Midwest and out west, Utah, Wyoming, and places, Montana, some of those Dakotas, that really need somebody to come in and encourage them and uh, help them for a few weeks, disciple, whatever. And so that's what we're going to do for the next little bit. We're not sure yet what the Lord's going to have us to do. But let me just say this. I believe that... Uh, You'll, I just want to brag on the Lord if I can for a few minutes. Uh, when we went to the old church at, Temp, uh, at uh, Trinity Baptist in Jersey City, we went out there four years ago this month and looked at the churches that were closing and closed. And, and uh, you ought to pray for that part of the country. Uh, we were eight years in New Hampshire and established three churches. And uh, then God moved us down to Jersey City. But if you can picture where Manhattan is, across from Manhattan where we were, we saw the Statue of Liberty and uh, the Empire State Building, the Twin Towers every day. We were just five blocks off the Hudson. But if you can picture the northern part of New Jersey, uh, North Bergen, Union City, Jersey City. Uh, Jersey City is the largest populated city in America land-wise. And if you can believe this or not, we were the only independent Baptist church in, that, in Jersey City. Uh, and North Bergen, so North Bergen, Jersey City, and, and Bayonne are the only three independent Baptist churches in all that area, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So that needs a lot of prayer. And so it was not that we wanted to leave there necessarily, but uh, you know, the Spirit of God begins to deal with our hearts because we come in and get things going and our job's done and uh, we get it going. So we saw God take that work from the basement with three men till we went to 300 in, in our first three years there. So we spent three years and saw God take it from nothing uh, to something over 300. Uh, now supporting 25 missionaries. And uh, when we went there, you couldn't even pay the light bill. And now the offerings are running between two and 4,000 a week. And uh, people are saved. My, we have some, we had one week just not long ago, we had 100 people get saved. And so there's a lot of discipling and a lot of recruiting and uh, teaching because there's all kinds of walks of life in that ministry. Uh, we had anywhere from six to eight or nine different nationalities every service. And uh, our choir was made up of people from all the world, really. Uh, you just named the country, and they were in there. And so we had a wonderful work there, tremendous people, and giving people, soul winning people, praying people. But you got to understand, these people had to be one to God and then taught, amen. And that takes a lot of time, whether you believe that or not. So I thank God for my wife that has been right there with us uh, all these years now, starting church. We had to remodel the old house to get some place to live, and then had to completely remodel the old church building. And uh, no money, but we watched God send thousands of dollars in there to us and uh, helpers to do this. Uh, when we needed plumbing, they sent plumbers. When we need painters, God sent painters to me. And uh, just all kinds of, uh, we needed some uh, tile and this sort of things. And uh, God saves an old boy from Puerto Rico and he gets, he's a, that's his trade. So we just watched God do miracle after miracle. And uh, I, I just want to say this about our, really the last convert. There's an old boy named Matthew who was a uh, veteran of the Vietnam War, terribly shot up and hurt and had four purple hearts. The man was quite well decorated, but uh, he thought God couldn't save him because he's a murderer. Uh, the man drank two liters of liquor and 18 cans of beer every day. 
and uh, God saved old Matthew. He's the last one waved goodbye to me, and I drove the truck out, and I took my truck and furniture out. So I just want to thank you for your offerings to us and your support to us. And we could not go there if it was not for people like this church, Temple Baptist, that helps us. So you pray. We left everything there. We moved out, didn't take one stick of furniture. Uh, we left all of our uh, office equipment because the fellow coming in front of us, behind us, he's not married. He's getting married in July. And I felt sorry for him. The boy did need a bed, didn't he? And so we left everything. Of course, all of the office furniture, we bought all this, but it's all been used for the church. It's all in the computers. So we're praying for a computer now. We need at least one. And I'm asking God to give us a video projector. We need this in the ministry real tremendously. So those are two things I wish you'd pray with me about uh, for office equipment. We need everything now, furniture, everything. We found a house on Monday and moved and came out of Missouri on Tuesday. So uh, when we get back home, we're going to have to sleep in a sleeping bag or something. But preacher, thank you. Church is beautiful here. We were in uh, England back in February, and they said there's some fellow from uh, Georgia out here recently <laughs> and begging for books. And, of course, David, David went with us. He says, I know who that fellow is. And, uh, and uh, we talking about it. But he's David, our David, went with us, and we had a wonderful time. But we heard that you're preaching around there also. Thank you for praying for the loves. We put some prayer cards on the outside. It's got a same old picture, but it's a different address now, okay? And uh, if you'll put that on your refrigerator, do more for you than Weight Watchers. Amen. But David sends his regards. He found out he was going to be here tonight. Uh, pray for New Hope Baptist. They just bought 30 acres of new land to relocate, build and re in about four years. Uh, when David went there in July the 4th, it would be two years. Uh, there's around about 170. He had Brother, he had brother Lee, who you're going to have, uh, had him there on the anniversary uh, and had 357. So pray for New Hope. Pray for us. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor.
I can't imagine what he would be like without the Lord. Can you? I, serving the Lord and just knowing him, uh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like. I'm just glad that I'm saved. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 26, and we're going to continue tonight our study of the tabernacle. Do you have your little bulletin? There's some places there that we encourage you to uh, follow and to fill in. And uh, just stay with us in our studies tonight. Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. We're going to look at the same text we looked at last Wednesday night. We thought about the curtains. Tonight we're going to think about the coverings. And they're kind of connected and we'll explain that to you uh, tonight. Verse 1, Exodus chapter 26. The Bible said, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits and the breadth of one curtain four cubits and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another and the other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. Thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the salvage in the coupling. And likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of another." Thou shalt make fifty tashes of gold and couple the curtains together with the tashes, and it shall be one tabernacle. Thou shalt make a curtain of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. The length of one curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and the eleven curtains shall be all of one measure." Thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves and shalt double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. Thou shalt make fifty loops on the edge of the one curtain that is outmost in the coupling and fifty loops in the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. And thou shalt make fifty tashes of brass and put the tashes into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. And the remnant that remaineth of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remaineth, shall hang over the back side of the tabernacle, and a cubit on the one side, and a cubit on the other side of that which remaineth in the length of the curtains of the tent. It shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and on that side, to cover it. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red, and a covering above of badger skins. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And tonight we're going to focus upon verse 14. Last Wednesday night we looked at verses 1 through 13. Tonight our attention is drawn to verse 14. There it talks about the coverings. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight as we gather here, we thank you, Lord, for that Sunday 29 years ago when you saved us by your grace. And for all that you have meant to us through the years, Father, you have been our life. Our whole life has been built around your word. Our whole life has been built around your work. And Father, as we come tonight, it's beyond our imagination what it would be like to be without you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a part of our life. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Savior. We thank you, Lord, that you are our Lord. 
Now, Father, bless our study tonight. May we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God. And in the process of growing in our knowledge of the Word of God, I pray that we'll grow in Christ and we'll be, take the truth of God and to become a powerful force in our life tonight to make us more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing now. Bless your word and from which we build all things, for it is in the name of Jesus Christ we ask these things. Amen. Just real quickly, a word of just to remind you of where we have come thus far in our Wednesday night study of the tabernacle. We have looked at the outer court and your picture on your bulletin there you see the tabernacle and the fence that surrounds the tabernacle. The tabernacle, as I have reminded you, is really the tent that is located in the back end of your picture there. The outer court is the fence that surrounded it and the area within. We looked at the outer court. We also looked at the gate or the entrance. That is the entrance into the outer court. Only one end, that was the east end, where you find a gate and only that one entrance. After that, we looked at the brazen altar. As you come through the entrance into the outer court, the first thing that would have got your attention or caught your attention would have been this huge piece sitting right in front of you, which was the brazen altar. This was the place where all the sacrifices were offered to God, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, all the different offerings, and so forth. This was where they were offered. Then as you walk past the brazen altar, the next thing that would catch your attention would be the laver, the brazen laver. This was where the priests would stop and wash themselves. They would wash their hands and wash their feet before they went into the tabernacle itself. We saw the brazen laver and reminded of the need of cleansing in our life day by day. Then last Wednesday night, we looked in verses 1 through 13 of Exodus 26 at what we call, call the curtains. And these are a part of the coverings of the tabernacle. Now, if you remember last week, I said there were four coverings over the tabernacle. That is the ceiling and the roof of the tabernacle itself. These are the coverings that came across the top and dropped down the sides. There were four of them. The first two we looked at were what we call the inner curtains or the inner coverings, and they are called curtains. Verses 1 through 13, you find that these two inner curtains, and there were two of them, that they were called curtains in order to distinguish them from the other two we're going to look at tonight. These two curtains, these inner coverings, there were two of them, and the first one, first inner curtain was made of fine twine linen. Mixed into the linen was the colors of blue and purple and scarlet and also the cherubims that were embroidered on this garment. This is what you would see. This was what was visible to the eye when you went inside the tabernacle itself. A beautiful piece, of, uh, beautiful piece stretched over the ceiling that formed the ceiling of the tabernacle. That is the first inner curtain. The second inner curtain we saw was made of goat's hair. And this was the curtain that was laid over the first inner curtain. And we looked at that particular curtain there and we saw uh, that what it represented in the sim symbolism in the uh, second curtain that was stretched over the first one. The first one we saw was made of ten sections and they were put together and joined together. Little blue loops were on the edges of them and these two loops were put together and a little gold clasp was put through them to form one particular or one long piece of material. And when these two sections were put together, it would be 42 foot long and 6 foot wide and then the other sections were added to it, completely covering the tabernacle down each side and over the back side. And then the uh, second curtain we saw was actually made of 11 sections. And it was equal to the first one except for this one extra uh, section that was added to it. And we saw how that it was pulled back on the front of the tabernacle and doubled and over in the very front of it. And we saw that it was put together just like the first uh, inner curtain, but yet it used little claps of brass. Those are the first two. They were called the inner coverings or they were called curtains, as you see in verse 1, to distinguish them from the other two. Now the last two coverings that you have are, are the outer coverings, and they are called coverings in the Bible. Again, the first two are called curtains. 
The second two they're going to look at tonight, the outer curtains or the outer coverings are called curtains. And again, they're called that so that we know and distinguish between the two. The first one was a curtain, the second one's a curtain, the next one is a covering, and the next one is a covering. So when you read Exodus 26, verses 1 through 14, when it talks about curtains, it's talking about the first two. When it talks about coverings, it is talking about the second two. Now, these were made of two different matters. One, we find that one of the coverings was made of ram skins. We're going to look at that tonight. The second one, or the next one of these two outer curtains, was made of badger skins. We're going to look at that. So, saying all of that, let's just, uh, let me give you these two things. Look at two things, the first outer curtain and the second outer curtain, and we'll make application of the two tonight. Let's first begin by looking at the first outer covering. Look at chapter 26, verse 14. The Bible said, And thou shalt make a covering for the tent, notice, of ram's skins dyed red. The first outer curtain that we're calling it is actually the third layer of the tabernacle. The first was the fine twine linen. The other was goat's hair. And now the third layer of the ceiling of the roof of the tabernacle, this covering, was made of ram skins. Now, there's no measurements given. It is assumed that it is the same as the curtain of goat's hair. But verse 14 tells us that these ram skins were dyed red. So this is what you had. You had this beautiful uh, fine twine linen stretched over forming the ceiling with all these beautiful colors in it. And then you had this uh, goat's hair put over top of it. And now this red uh, garment, red not garment, but this red covering is put over top of that. Now, let me just say two things about the ram skins. When you look at the ram in the Bible, you'll find that the ram speaks of basically two things in the Word of God. And I think these two things are why it is symbolized, or this, we find this, what it symbolizes in the tabernacle itself. For one thing, the ram skin, or the ram, speaks of substitution. You find the ram in the Bible, it speaks of substitution. And second of all, it speaks of consecration. Now let me go back and look at these briefly for just a moment. For one thing, it speaks of substitution. And for another thing, it speaks of consecration. Take the matter of substitution, for example. A ram in the Bible speaks or is symbolic of substitution. A good example is found in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 13. We'll put the verse up on the screen. You can make notes of it and look it up later. But you know the story of how Abraham took Isaac upon the mountain to offer him there as a burnt offering. That was the instruction that God had given him. It was a burnt offering, a specific offering and that was being a burnt offering. What Abraham had been told by God to do was to take his son Isaac. And when he got him on the mountain there, he was to offer him in a specific way. That being a burnt offering. And what he was to do, one, he would take a knife and cut his throat, son's throat, drain the blood from his son's body, and then, as the Bible called it, flay, or we would say skin the body, and then carefully dissect the body, and then placing a certain order upon the altar, and then the fire would consume the offering there, and then when the fire had consumed it, he would take the ashes out to a separate place and bury them. Now, that's what God was asking Abraham to do. And I've always found that fascinating when the Bible speaks about him offering Isaac as a burnt offering, that Abraham was willing to do that. Now, you know he loved Isaac, but it's fascinating to me that a man would be so consecrated to God that he would be willing to obey God even in that particular matter. But you know the story how that he didn't have to offer Isaac as a sacrifice for there was a ram that was offered in the stead of Isaac. The Bible said in verse 13 of Genesis 22 that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Now it's always fascinating me how accurate the Bible is. People talk about contradictions and mistakes and flaws and errors in the Bible. No, the Bible is very, very accurate. For you notice there that the ram was caught by its horns. It was caught in a thicket by its horns. Now, if it had been caught in a thicket in its body, it would have had scratches all over it. And if it had a scratch on it, it would have been disqualified as a sacrifice. 
For a sacrifice had to be without spot, and a sacrifice had to be without blemish. But it was caught by the horns. The Bible is so accurate. And the Bible said that Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. That's one example. A ram, again, is symbolic of, of substitute. Now, when we think about the tabernacle and how it is a picture of Jesus Christ, we are reminded that Jesus Christ is our substitute. What do we mean when we talk about Jesus being our substitute? Take the latter part of verse 13 of Genesis 22. That's a fascinating statement. He offered him up, that is, offered him up this uh, ram for a burnt offering. Notice this, in the stead of his son. Now, Isaac was the one that had been condemned to die. When God had said to Abraham, I want you to offer your son Isaac as a burnt offering, Isaac was condemned to die if death was facing him. But yet, he was spared death. He was spared judgment, you might say, when something else, that being a ram, died in his place. Now, that's what it means when the Bible talks about Christ being our substitute. He died in my place. Now, you listen to me tonight. I don't care how good you think you are and how religious you may think you really are. The truth of the matter is tonight, every one of us should have been in hell, at least on our way to hell. And we ought to have been in hell burning for all eternity. And that's what we deserved, and that's where we were going. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son as our substitute. He died so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. He died so that I would not experience the wrath of God. He died in my stead. He died as my substitute. He died in my place bearing my sins upon himself. That is my substitute. I read about, I haven't seen this, but in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, there's a grave of a Civil War soldier. And the stone bears the date of his birth and the date of his death, and then it has these words which sets it out. You have the words on there, Abraham Lincoln's substitute. In the woe and the anguish of the war, realizing that thousands and thousands were falling in his place on the field of battle, Abraham Lincoln chose one to honor one particular soldier as his substitute and to make him a symbol, as it were, the fact that soldiers who perished in battle were dying that others might Live. Well, Jesus Christ is my substitute. He is my round. He died in my stead. But then take the matter of consecration. A realm is not only symbolic of substitution, but it's also symbolic of consecration. Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 22, you find that the realm is called the realm of consecration. So the realm is not only speaks of, not only speaks of, of substitution, but it also speaks of consecration. Leviticus 8, 22, it's on the screen. He brought the other ram, the ram of consecration, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram. You see, there was a special ceremony in which Aaron and his sons were consecrated to minister as a priest. And during that ceremony, a ram was brought forward, and they put their hands upon the ram. It was part of the ceremony there. It was identified as a realm of consecration. Now, I want you to understand something tonight, that Jesus Christ is not only my substitute, and he's not only your substitute, one that died in your stead or took your place, but he has also been consecrated as our great high priest. Now, just like Aaron and his sons were consecrated, and to, to serve as priests and to minister as a priest, Jesus Christ has become our great high priest. Number Hebrews 11, Hebrews 9 and verse 11. Here's a great verse. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is not of this building. He is my priest. Now, Jesus Christ was consecrated to the office and the ministry of the great high priest and priestly service. Now, what is the difference? There were Aaron and his sons and many, many priests throughout the years. But what is it that makes Jesus Christ such a unique priest? Well, let me just point out a few things, and we'll put several verses of Scripture upon the screen. For example, Hebrews 8 and verse 1. The Bible said, We have such a high priest 
who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Now the Bible said that these ram skins that formed this third layer were dyed red. Now you know that red is that which speaks of suffering and death. When the Bible speaks of Jesus being the consecrated one or the high priest, he was consecrated unto death. Jesus Christ was consecrated to die. He was to be a substitute, to die in my stead, to die in your place, but he was consecrated to death. Hebrews 9, 12. The Bible said that neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He was not only our substitute, but he was our high priest as well. It was his blood that was being offered. He was my substitute, dying in my stead. But he was also the one offering the sacrifice, or he was also the one, the high priest that entered in the holy place. Now here is the difference in the death of Christ for sin and the death of animal sacrifices, such as through Exodus and Leviticus and so on like that. You take the blood of all the little lambs that were shed and the rams and the bullocks and the turtle doves and the little pigeons and so were like that. They were sacrifices that only covered sin daily and they only covered sin yearly. That's why every day certain sacrifices had to be offered. That's why every year a certain sacrifice had to be offered. For even though this was an animal, an innocent one, it was an animal. And it was dying in the stead of someone else, but it was the, the blood that the animal shed only covered sins. For example, Hebrews 10, verse 11. The Bible said, Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering, and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. Now note this next statement. Which can never take away sins. You see, the thing about all the sacrifices in the Old Testament economy, they covered sin, but they didn't remove sin. They only made an atonement for sin. The daily sacrifices covered sin for that day. And the yearly sacrifice on the Day of Atonement covered sin for a year. But it was offered every day. The same sacrifices were offered every day. And the same sacrifices that were yearly, they were offered year after year after year after year. They could never remove sin. They could never take sin away. They only covered sin. Hebrews 9, 25. The Bible said, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Now Hebrews 8, 7, 8, 9, 10 talks about this sacrifice. How that it went on every day, every day, every year, every year, and it could never take away sin. It only covered sin. But look at Hebrews 10, verse 3 and 4. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. But Jesus Christ is our substitute. And Christ is our high priest. He not only died in my stead, but he took my sin away. He did more than cover my sin. He cleansed my sin. He removed my sin. He took my sin away. Let me point out Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 in something interesting. In Hebrews 10, 11, and 12, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Get that statement, sat down. That is a very, very significant statement. For you see, every day priests were offering certain sacrifices. They never sat down. They were offering them day by day by day. And the high priest himself, when he would go in yearly into the holy place, in the most holy place, and offer the blood and sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat and, and, and there upon the ark, he did so once a year. And the Bible tells us that when in there, the Bible never talks about him sitting down. He came back out. He'd go back the next year and come back out. He'd go in the next year and come back out. But Jesus, when he went in, offered his blood, and the Bible said he sat down. 
What is the significance of that statement? It is significant. Bullock had to give his life. No more blood would have to be shed. Jesus had paid the eternal sacrifice. He had shed his blood, and thank God it was finished once and for all. That's why everything, when we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ, it is a finished work. Can I get an amen right there? He was our substitute, and he was our high priest. That's why you're saved once, you're saved eternally. You don't need to be saved again and again and again and again. You save once. He offered his blood once. And he satisfied you once. If you could lose your salvation, it'd mean Jesus had to die again. It's an eternal sacrifice and it's eternal salvation. Amen? And that's all symbolized in that third layer, which was ram skins dyed rare. But then look at the second outer layer. This would be the... Layer, the first one, the, the uh, first outer covering would be the third layer of the tabernacle from the inside out. And then the second outer covering would actually be the fourth layer of the tabernacle from the inside out. And this would be what was visible to those that were on the outside. If you, if you were a priest and went on the inside, you'd see that first one. But you were not a priest, you never had the privilege of going inside. But you were on the outside. And what you saw on the outside, you didn't see the fine twine linen with the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the cherubims. You didn't see the goat's hair covering. You didn't see the, uh, the ram skins dyed red. All you saw was this fourth layer or this second outer covering. The Bible tells us that it was made out of badger skins. Now what does the Bible talk about when it talks about badger skins? Most scholars believe that what is referred to when you talk about badger skins, that they were actually seal skins or porpoise skins. And this, because there were abundance of these in the Nile and the Red Sea and whatever like that. So when the Bible talks about badger, don't think about this little thing that'll bite you if you reach down into a hole. When the Bible's talking about badger skins, it's actually speaking about either a seal skin or a porpoise skin. And these porpoise skins or seal skins that created a hard leather, leather that resisted rain, sun, and cold weather. And its appearance would simply be a drab, dull, bluish gray. So if you walked up on the outside, you saw this wide fence. It's about nine foot tall. And on one end, you saw this old drab-looking tent, an old drab, dull, bluish gray tent sitting down on the one end. On the outside, from the outside, there was nothing attractive about the outer covering. Now, what does it symbolize? The second outer covering or the covering that was visible to the eye from the outside. This outer covering, the second outer covering, spoke of the deity of Christ that was veiled in human flesh. The deity of Christ that was veiled in human flesh. In other words, when men looked upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he was God, but he was God veiled in human flesh. He was the God-man. If you'd looked upon Jesus Christ, even though he was the eternal God, the eternal Son, he looked like any other man. I think of several verses that bear this out. For example, Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. The Bible said, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now Isaiah said that there is no beauty that we should desire him. What is Isaiah saying? Isaiah is simply declaring that there was nothing about his physical features that set him apart from anybody else. There was nothing unusual about him to attract attention to him. There was nothing unique about Jesus Christ in the flesh that would suddenly draw your attention to him. As he walked among men, he appeared to be a common, ordinary man. Nothing special, nothing unique, just a common, ordinary man. But even though he was God, God who had created everything, God that had no beginning, 
a God that the Bible tells us the worlds are too small to contain. The heavens cannot contain him. Even though he was God, he was veiled in human flesh, just like me, just like you. And if you did not know who he was, if somebody hadn't appointed him out to you, you would have passed him by and you wouldn't have thought of him to be any more than just another man on the street. God, but veiled in human flesh. John 1, verse 10 and 11. The Bible said he was in the world. The world was made by him, but the world knew him not. What John is saying is he came to the world that he created. He that made everything... He came to his own creation. He came to the world, and the world and those around him didn't even recognize who he was. They passed him on the street and didn't even realize he's the one that made it all. Men walked into his daddy's little carpenter shop, a little village joiner shop, where they repaired broken things. And men would walk in there, and ladies would bring things by, and there he would be, and they didn't even realize, here is the creator of it all. Here is the God, uh, the eternal God. They didn't even know him. And it wasn't until he made himself known publicly that many knew who he was. Verse 11 said, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was God, but veiled in human flesh. When you think about this outer covering of the tabernacle, nothing attractive about it. You say, well, why didn't they make it something special? Why didn't it just really stand out so when somebody passed by, he say, man, look at it over there. No, they just looked and saw an old blue-gray tent, just an old leather tent covering out there, just sticking up out of this fenced-in area, nothing attractive about it. It reminds us that to the natural and the unregenerate man that there is nothing attractive about Jesus Christ, that this world... You take, for example... She sung a little while ago about imagine what it'd be like without him. Our whole lives, the majority in this room, he is our life. He's our everything. We get up in the morning thinking about him. We go to bed at night thinking about him. All through the day, it's just uh, your whole mind and heart and everything is just thinking about him. And you talk to him like you would talk to someone standing beside you. It's just a conversation in and out all through the day. You're thinking about this, and one minute you're talking to him, and one minute you're doing this, and next minute you're thinking about him. Your whole life is built around him, and we're drawn to him. We love him. Amen? And many love him to the point that they would do anything that he would want. If he said, go to Timbuktu and give the rest of your life, many would do that because they're so drawn to him and attracted to him. But the world out there, and the reason we're drawn to it, we've been inside. We've seen him in all of his glory. We've seen him in all of his majesty. We know him in all of his beauty. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. We have been inside and seen him from that way. But to the outside, the world that has never known him and never come through the gate and come to the altar and lived a clean life and live in the presence of God, they don't know anything about him. And so there's nothing about Christ that really attracts them. I was doing some research today for uh, the book that I'm working on and, and I kind of got sidetracked. I ran across something, a, a little quote or something about Ted Turner and, of course, uh, you, they, Ted Turner, uh, if there's ever a nickname given to a man that fits, it's Ted Turner's nickname. You know what his nickname is? The Mouth of the South. That's a good name, say amen right there. And I ran across an, uh, something, and so I kind of got sidetracked from my uh, work on the book and then headed off and started running this, that, and the other, and, and all of these things he had said and whatever about this. and. He'd made a statement to uh, one particular group there that Christianity was a religion of losers. And he'd, he'd, come up, he'd done away with the Ten Commandments, said we no longer need those today. And he'd come up with his ten alternatives and this, that, and the other. And I got to reading about him and Jane having their divorce and all this kind of stuff. And, and him talking about, of course, I heard the story. I don't know. I've tried to find this. Someone said that uh, Jane Fonda's uh, chauffeur I was a Christian, and he witnessed to her time and time and time again, and finally one day he led her to Christ. And she's been very public about, I don't know about her faith, I don't know what kind of faith she's got, whatever there, but Ted, as she comes home and says, I'm a Christian and whatever, and, 
And he said that was a shock. She'd never been religious and whatever. But I, I get to reading about folks like that that ain't got a lick of sense, got plenty of money, but dumb as dirt. Can I get an amen right there? And they tear down this and tear down Christianity and, and look at all these other things there. And all they see is an old, dull, drab, porpoise tent. But for the rest of us, we've seen him in his glory. That's why we're drawn to him, and that's why we're attracted to him. He is God, but veiled in human flesh. When you look at the tabernacle and you think about Jesus, you think about all that he is and all that's represented. Take your prayer sheet. Are you glad to be saved? Say amen right there. Our prayer sheet tonight, our missionary of the week, I want to pray for is Farrell and Barbara Kearney, and they're serving the Lord in the wells. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a dear couple. Brother Roy, he's good friends with the Kearneys, and he knows them well. These are some of the finest people I've ever been around in my life. I've, I've stayed in their homes and preached in his church, and, and uh, we've been everywhere. Brother Kearney was the first one that took me to Moriah Chapel and showed me where the Welsh revival broke out. And, and so many things. Just, just a great guy. And we want to remember them tonight and be praying for him. And as I think of my his church and the work there, and as I said, I've, I've, I've preached there before. And let's remember Brother Kearney tonight serving in Wells. And then our Church of the Week is Greystone Baptist Church in Lewisburg, West Virginia. Brother Yule Altizer. This is a church that Brother Brian Dean is out of. And Brother Yule's a dear friend. Church is doing the best it's ever done. Let's continue to pray that God will bless it and it will continue to grow and prosper. And then in our hospital, we want to remember these tonight, Alex Padgett is a memorial, and uh, there was possibility he'd be moved to Vincourt. Does anybody know if he, they moved him today? He's going, he's going to Hell South. He's going to Hell South tomorrow. So let's remember Alex and be praying for him. And Jessie, she's still in memorial. She had to go back in and she had to have surgery again on the hip. And she has a staph infection, so remember Jesse. And then Juanita Warnick at Huntsville. And then Barbara Davis. Uh, she had knee surgery this week, and, and they were supposed to move her to Health South this afternoon. That's where Sherry is uh, right now. I talked to Sherry about 5, 5.30, and she's waiting on them to come and get Barbara, and, and they'll be moving her to Health South. So remember them. And then, of course, remember those who've lost a loved one, uh, the... Francis and Mary Ruth, they lost an aunt. Virginia Revels, also Chris Kilby, the death of his grandmother. And then Esper Jackson, her son Keith, passed away last night. And the funeral will be 11.30 on Saturday at Lane Southcrest. They'll be receiving friends uh, tomorrow afternoon. So you want to remember Esper, and this is her baby boy, and she calls him, and, and she's taking it real hard. So let's remember Esper and be praying for her. Let's all come and gather around the altar. Let's pray for Sunday. Wasn't Sunday a great day? Thank God for all of His goodness to us, all the things that He's doing. Let's just come, all of you that will. Just gather around the altar. Get on your knees. Uh, it's never out of order to get on your knees and pray. Huh? Hmm. Right, right, good. And all, yeah, I'm glad Aaron mentioned it because I wrote it down on a piece of paper and I put it in my pocket a while ago. Chantel, Aaron's wife, be having surgery on Friday. And she's got to have her tonsils removed. She's been having a lot of problems with her throat for a number of years. And they think this may be one of the causes. And so Chantel will be having surgery on Friday. So let's remember Chantel will be praying for her. Mike? Yes. He came to the States to have surgery, didn't he? No, he's still over in Scotland. Let's remember this missionary. Maddie was in the hospital the first part of the week. None of us knew about it. But she's home. Let's remember Maddie. Be praying for her. Any others, Bobby? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you didn't hear him, her lungs are starting to work. That's been a concern. And she's doing well. Let's continue to pray for Barbara Cole. Anyone else here before we pray? We've got a priest that we can go to. And we can take our burdens to. And let's remember these things. Let's pray now for... Sunday that God will continue to move been amazing things happening let's pray that God continue to bless pray for all the things coming up that God will just continue to to move in this place for the glory of God pray for faith teams as they go out tomorrow night all of these things father in Jesus name